Greetings to each one this morning. I have been blessed by the service so far. I don't think I have ever felt as unneeded as I do this morning. I think we could go home and we've had enough. I think so. And uh, so it's a blessing to hear the devotional and children's lesson and, and on family sharing and then the testimony of what God is doing in Alan's life. So I trust we can have a little more this morning. Trust your heart can hold a little more. Why don't we just pause for a word of prayer this time? Our Father, we are grateful to you. We thank you, Lord, that you have made the first move. It was your purpose, your design to have us in your family. Lord, it is us, Lord, who run, who generally run away from you. It is us, Lord, who generally, Lord, need to be pursued. You are a gracious and compassionate God, like we sang. And Lord, as we sang, we will praise thee forever and ever. So, Lord, we thank you this morning that you are such a God as that. And we pray, Lord, you would bless us the rest of the service here, both the speaking and the hearing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to speak this morning at the title right off first, Faith Fool Unto the End. And to our scripture, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And as we heard last Sunday, I'd like to hear some rustling of pages. Hebrews chapter 3, and I think I will read the whole chapter. I know we have to keep our eye a little bit on the time this morning, as the picnic and all that. Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that builds all things is God. And Moses was verily, verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. History of the Jewish people is a fascinating history. It's recorded in the scripture. First, Corinthians 10 says that it is written for an example for us. History, the Jewish history was written as an example and to serve as a warning for us. Because the Jewish people were people a lot like us. They were God's chosen people. Are you God's chosen people this morning? Are you one of God's chosen people this morning? They were privileged to see the work of God in their midst. Have you seen the work of God in your midst, in your life, and among us? They had some victories, spectacular victories. They had some failures, some spectacular failures. They're people just like us. Now, as I understand the Hebrew letter, it was written mostly to Jewish Christians who were in danger of losing their initial enthusiasm. When they became Christians, they had been Jews. They forsook, forsook their, they forsook all to follow Christ. In that culture, they did. They forsook all to follow Christ. They left the synagogue system. They left the Jewish sacrificial system. And Christ became their only source of salvation. Their only hope for salvation was through Christ, not through their Jewish sacrificial system. And this brought a lot of tension in their old relationships. In fact, it brought censorship and rejection by many of their families. I don't know how many of us have experienced that, but some of that, some of us here have experienced some of that. But they rejoiced. They, it says in later in Hebrew, uh, they, uh, they endure plunder and outrage without complaint. They rejoiced in it that they could suffer for Christ. But with the passing of years, years and years went by, and I don't know what they were expecting. Maybe they expected that the Lord Jesus Christ would come back soon. Years and years went by, and it didn't happen. Years and years went by, and the Jewish synagogue 
kept on going. The Jerusalem had not been destroyed yet, in this case, and so you had the Jewish synagogue, the Jewish system, their system kept on going. In the meantime, they were being persecuted by not only the Jews, but also by the Romans. So their religion was not espoused by the state, but the Jewish religion was, and they could keep on going on with that system. Their original zeal wore off, and they were tempted to look backward rather than forward. And so that's why, as I understand it, that's why the book of Hebrews was written. To, to tell them, you, you cannot, you cannot go back. You cannot turn back. You must go forward. What you have chosen is the way. You need to persevere in the faith. Don't turn back, even in your heart, like the Israelites did when they left Egypt under Moses. Consider Christ, who is much greater than Moses, whom the Jews still follow. But we have a Christ to follow. He's greater than Moses. Don't go back to Moses. To enter into God's rest, you must move forward. You cannot go back to the ritual and the seeming security of the Jewish system. Life is unstable. Do you ever think about that? We buy raw milk. Because it has all the life in it yet. Raw milk is a superfood. It has all the nutrients and the enzymes that help boost immune function and allergies. And according to some, it does fantastical things like cure cancer. I don't buy that. But real raw milk has all its life in it. Pasteurized milk has its life killed. But raw milk spoils faster. Raw milk does not keep as long. In fact, you can buy ultra-pasteurized milk and not even refrigerate it. That's really dead. But raw milk, it, it, it's a community in a jar. Its life inside there is dynamic. But it's unstable. It can go wrong faster than something that's dead. Agreed? Big food companies make more money when their product has a long shelf life. So what are they good at doing? Radiating, sterilizing, preserving, pasteurizing, and whatever form they can make to make that food dead so it stays secure. On the shelf life. So if you want good food in the supermarket, if you go there for your food, uh, the fresh food and the vegetables and things like that, the thing that's live, living stuff, is the good food for you. But that food spoils much, much quicker. Sometimes, 
and you want to buy a product, it has on there as a as a selling point its solid state. Solid state means there's no moving parts to go wrong. There's nothing to break. So if you have a choice where you can buy something with moving parts and something with solid state, and it does the same thing, buy the one with solid state because that one is more reliable. Same way today, there are some religious systems that just go along like clockwork. You don't really need to think much because somebody has already done the thinking for you and has put it in its slot, in its place, and all you have to do is agree to it and move on. You may or you may not need a relationship with God, depending on which system you're in. You may or you may not need faith. But for, a most, for the most part, it's a system you ascribe to. It's something you do. It's not something you are. Now, a stable system like that doesn't sound as scary. It doesn't cost you as much. And that's what the old Jewish religious system was, beginning to look like to the Hebrews. The old Jewish system looked pretty stable back there. And here we are, and we are, I mean, we are having people killed, and we are having this issue and that issue, and we're not sure if it's worth it anymore. The dynamic life with Christ took faith. It took lots of faith. Believe me, it took lots of faith if you were getting your family killed. It took a lot of faith. It cost a lot. Why not just adopt a system that's easier? I think some of you can see parallels today, can't you? I can tell. Now the question is, why were the Hebrews becoming faint? And I'm not sure if I have some answers. I'm going to throw out some. some. Did they have a mistaken view of a short-term race? rather than a lifelong marathon. And as time began to stretch on, they began to lose faith. It was harder than they had anticipated. So that's the situation as I see on the ground of the scripture that we read in the whole book of Hebrews And the title of my message is, We Must Be Faithful Unto the End. And the Hebrew writer went back to when the Israelites left Egypt as an example for the Hebrews now in in the writing. And um, he uses the ancient Hebrews as an example for the Christian life. And that's and, and it's for us today. Let's 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 just gonna read over a few verses because what the Hebrew writer wrote to the Hebrews there is for us today, here. In verse six. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? Are we the house of God? Yes. If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. 
Verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ, that relationship that we heard about this morning. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Two weeks ago, we had a baptism. And seven young souls were baptized. That was two weeks ago, right? Yeah, that's how I had it right. Young in years. Young in the Lord. New believers at the onsite of a Christian life. Last week, John Michael had a good message. What would you do if you had a terminal illness? What would you do if you'd be facing lions in arena? What would you be, what would you do if you knew your life was really short? What really matters? And that is good. That is really good to think about. He said, what do you consider is really important? This morning, I'm going to take exactly the opposite view. The long view. If I knew the world was going to end soon, or the world as we know it was going to end soon, I would not put a new roof on my house. Back in uh, 1998, probably about halfway through 1998, some people were getting really, really concerned about Y2K. Anybody heard of Y2K? And the, the coming computer crash. And um, we read an article. We read a number of articles about that. My wife and I. I did mostly, probably. And uh, and we were influenced by it. So, wow. The world as we know it's going to end. Electricity grid's going to shut down. In about two or three days, the people from the cities are going to get hungry. And they're going to be out at our doorstep. And, uh, of course, there are all kinds of recommendations what you do about that. At that time, we needed a new water system at our house. Now, if you seriously consider that the world, as you know, is going to end in about a year and a half, what kind of water system would you put in your house? Well, you had certain grades of water system. You had this low-end, cheap model, then you had a middle, then you had this really good one. And and the man came out and inspected it, and of course he, he, he gave Martin's water conditioning. They're, they're high quality. They, they spec'd it out, and we looked at Wow, that's quite a price tag. And we're not even sure if we're going to be here two years from now, so why do that? So we chose a middle one. Well, as time went on, we began to realize we had overreacted. And by the time Y2K came around, we, we weren't very concerned anymore. I mean, we, we, we're not as unbalanced as you think. We, we do a balance out over, over time. Okay, give, give me time, okay? Usually I balance out. Today, I wish I would have that good water system. It's a non-electric one. It's better. It takes less salt. It's, 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 in the long run, it would have been better. But that was a decision I made because I was not thinking in the long run. 
There's another thing that I thought about that this brought this up. Is I had a, I passed a milestone this week. I turned 50. I have now been a Christian for 25 years. I became a Christian just before my 25th birthday. It's been an awesome 25 years. I think I have experienced a lot. I think I have. And as the song says that you're familiar with, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So my mind now goes to you youth. Not just the ones who were baptized, but you youth. You teenagers, you call them. You're not 50. You're 15. Or close to it. Unless the Lord returns. Or something else happens. You can expect to go in for the long haul. If you are a teenager day today. In 2055. You will be in your 50s. Now don't laugh. Everybody who was in your state. In your age. In your. um, I say it this way. Everyone who is in their 50s today thought the exact same thing as somebody would have said that to them at that age. Said, that is so far off. That will probably never happen. The world will probably end before that. I remember talking to my siblings as a child about the unheard and almost unthinkable time way in the future called 2000. To us, that sounded like another time, almost another life. I mean, we knew how to say 1901 or 1701, 1801, and 1901, but how do you say 2001? That sounds so weird. A different world. That time probably won't ever come. On the world scene during that time, the arms race was in full swing. The two world superpowers had enough nuclear missiles to destroy the world over many times over, we were told. We were told that. I don't know if that's factual or not. All it would take is the Soviets to strike, the United States to strike back, and the world would be over as we know it. That's what we faced back in the Cold War. Some of you older ones know what I'm talking about. But does that have any familiar ring to it? You youth, do you think way down into the future what it might be like in 2055? In 2055, I will be 90 if I'm around. I probably won't be doing too much. But you will be in your 50s. What will you be doing at that time? Will you be saying at that time, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. But grace has brought me safe thus far, or grace will lead me home. Or, will you be singing another song? And I thought about singing this song up here, but I'm not sure if I can do that. I'm not sure if I'm bold enough. It's a par- 
it's a re, remaking of the song, The Church's One Foundation is Jesus Christ, Her Lord. It's a redoing of the song. I like to read it. Our churches, I'm asking this question, are you going to be singing this song in your 50s? Our church's one foundation is sensitivity. If you are seeking Jesus, this is the place to be. Judge not lest ye be judged. That is our only creed. If your lifestyle's altered, we'll meet all your felt needs. Our PowerPoints are brilliant. Thanks to the folks at Dell. We'll take on any subject except the one on hell. Our lives are full of purpose. Why don't you come on in? We won't use ancient labels like wickedness and sin. We call ourselves authentic. That means we cuss a ton. We may not preach the Bible, but the coffee's always on. Jesus, he has a message for me as well as you. His wisdom for all seekers, to thine own self be true. What for song will you be singing 50, 40, 40 years from now? Where will your grandchildren be? What will your church be like? What for missions will you have? What kind of relationship will you have with God and his word? Will you be faithful unto the end? Will you be singing, Grace will lead me home? Since this message focuses remaining faithful for decades, and God parallels the children of Israel with his new covenant people, I'm going to do the same. So let's... Look this morning, we'll have a little bit of a Bible study this morning with a, with a moral in it. And so here we're going to go back. The, 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 the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God brought them out with the purpose to take them to the promised land. That was his purpose. But the story didn't begin there. And you can turn with me if you wish to back to uh, Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. Long before Israel was in Egypt, God had a plan for his people. God began to act out on his plan. In Joshua 24, he begins the story this way. In 24, verses 2 and 3. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. And I gave him Isaac, and I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. They were invited to come down to Egypt. They're under the blessing of the authorities. They came. They were given some of the best land there. 
They were under the protection of a superpower that kept them protected from, from enemies. And there they grew and they prospered. From 75 people that went in, they grew to several million people in 215 years. I did the math. And we'll get to that 215 years later. But they were only in Egypt 215 years. Seven generations, if they only intermarried, if in seven generations, if each family had nine children, I think that's about perfect. By the seventh generation, they would have had 1.3 million in the seventh generation. And with the several generations still living, the final number would have been what you expect, about very close. So they prospered in Egypt. And the reason it's 215 years is because the law was given 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham. Abraham got the promise, and the law was given 430 years later. And then you have, and I'm not going to get into We can talk about it later. This will be a good Sunday afternoon discussion. I always say that one time. Uh, about where that 400 years they were afflicted. 400 years. We'll talk about that later. But what was the promise given to Abraham way back then? Was it that they would prosper in Egypt? Was that the promise? God promised Abraham, I am going to make your people great and they're going to prosper in Egypt. No, that was not the promise. Actually, Abraham was given a number of promises, but um, the main one we want to look at is in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Unto thy seed I will give this land. Because he was in that land of Canaan. And he said, I will give this land to your seed. And then we have it more detailed in Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 to 17. And the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward, and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. So there's the promise. This was a land of promise. While he did not possess a single inch of it. Later on in life, for a burying place, he bought a plot of land in this place. But he had nothing, but it was a land of promise. And Abraham believed God, and he built his life on what God told him. So if God promises you something, it's guaranteed, right? Is God's promises guaranteed? Amen. When God promises, they're guaranteed. God is true, and he is as good as his word. God has promised us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
He said, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And he said, we know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his promise. That means, you youth now, you teenagers, that means every one of you will be serving God when you're 55, right? Or didn't God promise that? He said, He said, I won't leave you or forsake you. When you're 55, you will be gray-haired. You will be a seasoned warrior. You will still be fervent in the battle. You will have fought many victories for the Lord. You will have withstood the enemy by the power of God, by putting on his armor. You will be faithful unto the end. Is that a certainty? Well, Hebrews chapter 4, the part I did not read, the next chapter says, Let us therefore fear, talking to us now, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, that's a conditional certainty. I don't think it's anything new, but the, the, the certainty is conditional. We all have the promises. We may not all have those promises fulfilled. In our lives. Back to Israel. The gospel was preached to them. Think with me. They were in bondage in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. It's a type of the flesh. It's a type of the natural man. And they were in Egypt. They were prisoners. They were slaves. They were doomed to a life of slavery. Um, there was, there, on their job description, in the fine print, there was nothing that said that if you, if you serve for so long, you can go free. You, you couldn't look anywhere in their circumstances and see any light at the end of the tunnel. Not, not, not to them. They, they were doomed. They were slaves and they were stuck. Absolutely stuck. But isn't that the condition of a lost person today? Without hope, and we've got God in the world, enslaved by their bodily desires or their mental bondages. But the pleas and the cries to an earthly oppressor doesn't help at all. In fact, in Israel's case, it made it worse. So the Israelites groaned, and God heard their groaning. Do you ever do any groaning? You may. God hears groaning. God acts when his people groan, and did he ever act? I know we could read it, but for time we wouldn't, but near the end of chapter 1 in Exodus, it's like, 
or was it two? I forget which chapter. God heard the people, and then he remembered his covenant. Like, oh, yeah. No, that's just the way it's worded. But he remembered his covenant with Abraham and said, oh, it's time to get them out. It's time to move them out. So, they're stuck. But God is going to move. All the plagues in Egypt were culminated by that last plague, the plague of the firstborn son. Of each family. But they were told to take a lamb, kill it, take some of the blood, put it over the doorpost, then go inside that house, roast it, and eat it, and be ready to leave. So that's what they did. The lamb that they sacrificed is almost a nearly perfect example of the sacrifice of Christ. And... So they were saved by the blood, just like we were, just like we are. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. They were saved by the blood. So you had the gospel preached to them. Remember, they had the gospel preached to them. They were saved by the blood. And so the plague came. The Egyptians threw them out. And they went out on a high hand. They went out rejoicing. I mean, old things had passed away. All things were become new. They were, I think they were probably rejoicing. I think they were probably happy. Don't you think so? Where there was no light at the end of the tunnel at all. They were doomed as a life. All of a sudden, whoo, they're free. We're, we're leaving. We're not slaves anymore. That's awesome. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that they were baptized unto Moses when they went down through the Red Sea. And so they were, the gospel preached to them, were saved by the blood, they got a new life, and they got baptized. They were on their way to the promised land. Just like you are. Just like I am. They were free. They had a few issues, but soon they came to Mount Sinai. That was God's plan. Here, they were given the law. And here, they entered into a covenant with God. And I'll read Exodus 19, 8. And all the people answered together. They all answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So there they were. A few questions I'd like to, you to think. You don't have to answer them out loud. I want you to think. and Maybe we'll have a question. Did their keeping the law get them free from the bondage of Egypt? Yes or no? Is that clear enough? By them keeping the law, is that what got them free from the bondage of Egypt? Yes or no? No. Who got them free? The Lord did. Now that they were free from bondage, now that they were no longer slaves, now that they were free men, 
Could they do whatever they wanted? Yes or no? No. With getting the law, were they going back into bondage? Yes or no? No. You know, there's actually a pattern here. That's why I wanted us to think. There's a pattern here. God delivers his people by his power to bring them to himself so that they can serve him. That's the pattern today. It's even inherent in the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, it's this pattern. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That is to bring them into freedom from the world and by being born again. That's what that means. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach those new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. There's the pattern. The Jews had the same pattern in a different covenant. We have the same pattern today in the new covenant. Keeping the law. Trying to do good, trying not to do bad, is never the way for deliverance or salvation. Never. No one can save himself. It is God. You need the Lord. You need to cry out to the Lord. You need the blood of Jesus Christ. You need that cleansing in your heart to become free. As the Bible says... Have faith in God. Cry out to him and believe his word. Then, as a Christian, continue to have faith in him. Grow in your understanding and love for him and grow in faith. In John chapter 10, verse 2 to 5, is a very familiar passage here. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. That's quite simple, isn't it? Why then is it so easy to go astray? It's a question we can ask. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. How many of the 600,000 men actually made it into the promised land. Only two. Why only two? Did those two men keep the law better? Did they sing louder in their services? Did they say hallelujah more often? Did they talk to others more about the Lord? Maybe. But maybe not. Quite simply, they believed God 
if God said it, that settles it. And they believed it. If he said they were going to, that they were going to subdue their enemies and drive them out, then they were going to go in and subdue their enemies and drive them out. And they based their life on the word and the promises of God as if it were a fact. That's what they did. Dale Heise has a way to describe faith. And I like to use him a little bit. He said, faith obeys. Faith obeys. Faith does not know, know what else to do but obey. By faith, Abraham obeyed. You can look that. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, you obey. Obedience is always the evidence of faith. Faith, this is still Heise speaking, faith is a connection with God. It's a union with him. It's a powerful evidence that identifies you as a child of God, a true child of God. Faith identifies you as a true child of God. That person is living by faith, and we know that by the light that reflects obedience. It is the righteousness in your life which is by faith. If there is no obedience, it is evident that there is no faith. Where there is faith, there is righteousness. Okay, so what am I saying to you youth today? I just have a few short points to, the, to uh, conclude the message. First of all, I say to you, get ready for the long haul. Get ready for it. It might not be long, but get ready for the long haul. You can be faithful unto the end. Second, being faithful unto the end is not automatic, neither is it easy. It's like Christians in Pilgrim's Progress expect some doubting castles, expect some valleys of humiliation, expect some battles with Apollyon, expect some walks through the valley of the shadow of death, and expect some whips of correction from the master, and many, many, many other things. The fog of confusion. And good things too. The glory of victory and many things like that. Expect that to be faithful unto the end is not automatic, neither is it easy. Number three. History tells us that not all will persevere. We don't know who. Sometimes you can have a pretty good idea or suspect that someone may not persevere. But you can't always tell that. Sometimes it completely surprises you who does and who doesn't. Fourth, the Bible says each one of us should fear lest a promise being left any of us would come up short and not be able to enter 
into the rest at the end. I know we can have a debate whether what the rest is. Is the rest a, a victorious Christian life or is the rest heaven? Well, in this case, I'm using it as to be faithful unto the end. We should fear. The Bible says we should fear. We should have that warning with us. And fifthly, and maybe this is the most important one, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him. Wherefore, because Christ was faithful, because Christ was faithful, wherefore, at the Holy Ghost saith, today, today, if you will hear his voice, if you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit today, and you know that something is not right with you, if you know you're not where you should be, if you know there are issues in your life or relationships or you're not saved, today, if you will hear his voice, harden. Not your heart. As in the provocation. As in the days of temptation in the wilderness. Where they did harden their hearts. And they failed. And they came short. And they did not enter in. So today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. So consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Who was faithful. So, what will you be doing? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Why don't we just stand for a word of prayer here in closing? Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for those great and precious promises that we can be partakers of the divine nature and that we can be faithful unto the end by your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we do not need to have or do it in our own strength. Thank you, Lord, that you are our shepherd, that you lead us out, that we can listen and hear your voice, that we can follow, that you have delivered us from the enemy. And Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, help us to be faithful unto the end. Help us to fear the proper kind of fear. Help us, Lord, to have faith, the proper kind of faith, the faith that obeys. There is only one faith, that we will obey and be obedient by faith to you. So, Lord, we just pray that your blessing would be upon us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat>